Well, thank you for the warm welcome, Charles, John. Uh, I love coming here. TR's with me, uh, handling the books. Just thank you very much for having me back. Let me explain why I'm sitting. I'm not going to die tomorrow. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, I, I was kind of proud being the oldest person here. Uh, would you take that 96-year-old out so I can be the oldest? <laughs> Although I'm only 88. My cardiologist said to me this week, I would live into my 90s. My physician, in my annual physical two weeks ago, Louise and I had annual, said that I'm way above the curve. The problem is vertigo. And sometimes this comes on me, not a thing I can do about it. And uh, I could stand in a pulpit and hold on to it. I probably could. But I just thought, if you don't mind, I'll just sit and not have to worry about that. You have no idea what your pastor, that man right there, Dr. Charles Redmond, means to me. You, you've no idea. He alone, among Southern Baptists, has had me preach here year after year. It's only in the last year or two other Southern Baptists are inviting me. But the way you've blessed me, and you may or may not know, but for two years, he has supported my ministry. You have. First Baptist Church, Pasadena. And TR and I just want to express our deepest gratitude. You've no idea what it means to me. It's just a pleasure. Well, yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, we brought some books. I hope, hope, I don't have to take any of them back to Nashville. Uh, I'll go out and sign them. It does help get rid of them. And so I'll sign them if you want to buy them. My book, Total Forgiveness, is my most popular. I don't think it's my best. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's in probably 20 languages, Japanese, Chinese, Russian. Uh, I wish, I wish I had kept the letters that I've had over the years. I can make a book out of from all over the world, how lives have been changed, marriages healed, uh, deacons speaking to each other again. I could just go on and on. And uh, your pastor, although I preached it here uh, several years ago, believes that I should preach it again today. And this is something I'm happy to do. I'm going to read to you from the book of Genesis chapter 45, where I'll use as my text, Genesis 45, verse 8. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to fall on every person in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue 
that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. I pray that this will be life-changing, and dare I ask that no one will be the same again after today. And may this bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The message that I bring to you today was born in what was, at the time, the darkest hour that Louise and I ever went through. It was during our time in London, you probably know, I was the pastor of Westminster Chapel for 25 years. Uh, those 25 years were uh, the best of times, the worst of times, to quote the English author. We had our darkest hour while in that time. I won't tell you exactly when, because I don't want anybody to be able to trace it to think they know the incident, because it's something you'll never know about, ever. This is, but the thing is, what happened was very bad. It was unfair. It was wrong. And I was hurt, and I was bitter, and I was angry. How could God let this happen? If I were to tell you the story, I could, I could win you over. But I dare say there are people here today who've suffered a lot more, maybe very, very much more than anything Louise and I went through. But the point is, it was an awful moment. The future was bleak. I thought I was finished. I thought I was finished. And I was angry. And I couldn't tell anybody what happened. An old friend from Romania happened to be in London. His name, Joseph Tone, spelled T-O-N in Romanian, pronounced T-S-O-N, Son. And because I knew Joseph wouldn't tell anybody, I decided to tell Joseph Tone exactly what happened. Now, if I'm honest with you, my reason for telling this to Joseph, <laughs> that he would put his arm around me and say, RT, you ought to be angry. Get it out of your system. That's what I wanted. Uh, I wasn't prepared for what he said to me. If I could narrow those 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, they would be my finest hour. It's when Joseph Tone looked at me and said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. Faithful are the wounds of a true friend. And then I said, but Joseph, I just, I, I haven't told you everything. There's more. And he stopped. R.T. I can hear him now. If I could put on a little bit of Romanian accent. He said, you must totally forgive them. 
For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, you can, and you must. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Almost certainly the hardest thing you will ever have to do. And that is when you climb down, you not only forgive your enemy and let them off the hook, but you even pray for them. And when you pray for your enemy, you don't just say, Heavenly Father, just commit them unto thee, because you're hoping God will kill them. <laughs> it's not what Jesus had in mind. He said, if your brother offends you, pray for him, ask him to be blessed. That means that you actually come to the place that you ask God to bless your enemy. You say, RT, I don't think I could ever do that. Well, I understand. You see, this goes right against nature. It's the hardest thing anybody ever has to do. And that's when you let your enemy off the hook. Now, as I said, and I, I have no doubt that this is, this is no exaggeration. I'm sure many of you, many of you have suffered a lot more than what I went through in London. There's probably someone here, you were abused as a child. It's affected your whole life. An authority figure took advantage of you. Maybe relative, maybe a preacher. It could be that your husband was unfaithful to you. It could be that your wife was unfaithful to you. It could be you were promised a job and somebody else got it that doesn't deserve it. I could go on and on and on. Suppose we had a way of finding out who in this auditorium has suffered more than anybody else. Let's, let's, let's vote to pick the person here who suffered the most. And if we had the time, we'd interview each of you and, and we, we pick the top 10. And then we hear each of one's story. Then we narrow it down to the top three. And you may say, well, RT, I'd be in that top three. I, I believe you. And suppose we, though it's not easy, we're gonna vote on the person, the one person, who suffered more than anybody else in this building. By the way, that person is here. You may say, well, I'm the one. I believe you. But here's the thing. Suppose you were the one, and we, and we hear your story. And we think, oh, oh my, how could anybody endure that? And surely, surely, you would be the one person that would be the exception to the rule, that you have suffered so much 
that God himself would not expect you to have to forgive. I'm sure someone here has had that thought. Let's suppose it is you, and you're the one, and we call you up to the platform and say, well, we all sympathize. Nobody suffered like you. Anything you want to say, we give you the mic, and you, you might say something like this, well, now you know what I've been through. And in my case, God would not expect me to forgive that. Excuse me, I've got a surprise for you. The angels have a word for you. And this is no joke. If you really are the one who suffered more than anybody else, the angels have a word for you. Congratulations. Because when somebody has suffered like you have, and you forgive that, this is the thing that will bring more honor to glory, honor to God, more glory, when you can forgive what you have gone through. And my point is this. We all look for some loophole whereby in my case, God would not expect me to forgive that. When the truth is, you have, listen to me, a promise of blessing that the person next to you doesn't have because they haven't suffered like you. You've got a promise of blessing that's greater than anybody here because nobody suffered like you. Because there is a, a, a principle. The greater the suffering, the greater the anointing. The greater the suffering, the greater the blessing. And so what you thought gave you exemption, that in your case you don't have to forgive them, you're missing the most wonderful opportunity you could ever imagine. I would urge you at this moment, I, I, I don't blame you. I know what it is to give in to self-pity. I understand that. And you want to get even. And you can't wait to see the look on their face when they get caught, found out. You say, is it really possible you could come to the place that you would not only forgive them, but pray for them? It is. It is. It all depends, and I don't mean to be unfair, but it all depends how much of God you want. A.W. Tozer used to say, you can have as much of God as you want. And I used to think that's not true. I thought, well, I don't have as much God as I want. But you see, here's the thing. You don't prove how much you want of God by saying, oh, I just want more of you. I want all I have of you. The test will come, not in church when you're praying and dedicating yourself. It'll come on a Tuesday afternoon when you're not expecting it. It'll come when you least expect it. And that's the test. will show how much more of God that you want. Well, now, the question is this. How do you know you have totally forgiven? You say, 
Are there stages? Are there degrees? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think there's partial forgiveness. I think you can go up to a person and shake their hand and, 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 and be nice. Total forgiveness. That really is hard to come up with. But it can be done. And were you to do it, you would be an exceedingly rare person. I think of the blessing First Baptist Church has been in this area. But what if I were to say to you, and I don't mean to exaggerate, I'm just telling you, I has not seen nor ear heard nor hath entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. When you're willing to show it, not only as a church, but as an individual, the blessing God has for you down the road, it's incalculable. Maybe, maybe a long time ago, God uh, gave you a word. It's very, very possible he did. That one day he's going to use you. You see, can God reveal things? Yeah, I believe that. But then you say, but you know, it's, how long is it going to be? How long does it take? And you've cried out, how long, how long, how long? And I've come to Pasadena First Baptist Church today to tell you how long. As long as it takes to bring you to the place that Joseph got to. What I've just read to you today is the story of Joseph who had been betrayed by his brothers and these brothers were going to kill him. And the only reason they didn't kill him is because Ishmaelites showed up. They resented Joseph. He was the favorite of his father. Maybe you're jealous of somebody. In the case of Joseph, Jacob, his dad, gave him this coat of many colors. And the only thing worse than giving it was wearing it. Joseph wore that, strutted around. The brothers could take it no longer. And when they saw the Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt, they said, well, let's not kill our brother. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. They yanked that coat of many colors off Joseph's back, dipped it in blood, sent it. Some translations say that they told their dad. Others say they just sent it because they didn't want to face him and said, we found this robe. Do you recognize it? It was bloody. Jacob took the bait and said, yes, a wild beast has devoured my son. I will go to my grave in mourning. And the brothers tiptoed away and breathed a sigh of relief. And they said, ah, oh, we got away with it. Listen to me. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Don't try to play games with God. God has a way in the most unexpected moment of dealing with you. Well, these brothers thought they'd never have to deal with it again. He got away with it. Well, what happened? 
that the Ishmaelites sold Joseph to a, an Egyptian officer by the name of Potiphar. I don't have time to go into all the details of what Joseph went through, but I now want to fast forward to where Joseph now has overnight become the prime minister of Egypt, of all things. We're talking now some 22 years later from the moment they yanked that coat of many colors off his back, 22 years later, now Joseph has become prime minister of Egypt. And he had been given a dream. He had a dream that those brothers would one day bow down to him. And Joseph's mistake was telling it to his brothers. It wasn't smart. Only made him more jealous. But the fact is, strange as it may seem, the dream was of God. Joseph always knew that one day those brothers would bow down to him. He always knew that. He thought that God gave him that dream because one day he could look at those 11 brothers and say, gotcha, and then throw the book at them. That's what he thought. But you see, God postponed the fulfillment of the dreams until Joseph was a different man, a changed man, a broken man. And now at the beginning of Genesis chapter 45, we have the account of the fulfillment of the dream. And here is Joseph in his Egyptian garb, having now learned Egyptian. He speaks through an interpreter to his brothers. He knows who they are. They're coming now to buy food. They don't realize that they're having to go to the prime minister, that this is their own brother. They don't know that. They don't have a clue. Joseph knows who they are. They don't know who he is. And speaking to an interpreter, as I said, he thought it would be the moment he could point the finger and throw the book at them. Instead, we read verse 1, Genesis 45, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. And he cried out, send everybody out of the room. Now here's the prime minister, interpreter, 11 brothers, maybe members of the cabinet, aides. He says, everybody out, all except the 11 brothers, they stay. I can imagine the interpreter says, you want me to stay? Out. And now Joseph, begins to speak to those 11 brothers in Hebrew or whatever language they spoke and says to these 11 brothers, as he breaks down and sobs and says, I'm Joseph, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. The question is, how does one know that he or she has totally forgiven? Proof number one, you do not tell anybody 
what they did to you. Who they did, who they were, what they did. You don't tell anybody. Why did Joseph make everybody leave the room? It's because he's going to persuade those 11 brothers to come and live in Egypt. The famine's going to last another five years. There's going to be no food. And so Joseph wants to bring all the brothers and his dad, the family, to live in Egypt. He wants to make sure that nobody in Egypt knows what those brothers had done to him 22 years ago. Joseph knows if the word leaks out, every Egyptian to a man would hate those men. But Joseph knew that. So behind closed doors, he tells the 11 brothers, I'm Joseph. Joseph knows that he's a hero in Egypt. He wants his brothers to be heroes. If the word leaks out, every Egyptian to a man would hate those men. That's what Joseph used to want. You see, when we haven't forgiven, we want other people to dislike them. Joseph made sure nobody in Egypt would ever know what they did to him. The proof you've totally forgiven you don't tell anybody what they did to you. There's two exceptions. One, you need to tell one other person for therapeutic reasons. I told Joseph Tome. The other reason is if a crime has been committed. A lady came into the vestry at Westminster Chapel and said, they have found my rapist. I said, well, this is amazing. Well, they want me to testify in a court of law. I said, well, well, you must. Oh, Dr. Kendall, you've taught me to forgive and I've forgiven him. I said, I believe you, that's wonderful. But this is different, this is a trial. It's not personal. So she did tell, a crime must be reported. But the, what's the real reason we tell what they did? When we get hurt, we're on the phone. Here's what they did to me. The reason is, you cannot bear the thought that anybody will like them anymore. You don't want them to be admired. You want everybody to turn against them. And that was the way Joseph felt for years until God dealt with him and came to the place. Do you know the old spiritual came out of Alabama in the 19th century in the cotton fields of the slaves when they came up with this old spiritual, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. That is the way Jesus likes it. When he's the only one that knows. But when you tell everybody Jesus is the last to find out. As far as you're concerned, you tell everybody and then you tell the Lord. See, that's not good. God wants the kind of relationship with you that nobody knows but him. The proof that you've totally forgiven is that you tell nobody. You can tell the Lord. Psalm 142. 
pour out your complaint to the Lord. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. You see, these men are terrified. They're scared to death. They can't believe that Joseph is the prime minister, and now Joseph wants just to love on them. He says, come close to me, come close to me. You know, they, they just couldn't believe it. Their brother's not only forgiven, he wants to love on them. You see, the reason we keep people a bit nervous around us, we don't want to be vulnerable. It's like, you know, a husband and wife, they'll play this game to keep the other nervous, a little bit afraid. Husband says to the wife, I will remember that. And why would we keep a record of wrongs? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Why do we keep records? We keep records because we want to prove we've paid. We keep a record of wrong because we want to throw it up what they did. This message could heal any marriage on the rocks by sundown today if both of you will tear up your record of wrongs. Tear it up. You say, well, I will if she will. I will if he will. No, you do it for Jesus. You don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. And you don't point the finger. You see, here they are vulnerable. Instead of making them feel guilty, Joseph just overlooks it and doesn't throw it up. You see, what gets our goat is that the people that have hurt us don't know how hurt we are. And so we, we, we can't resist telling them. By the way, when this sermon is finished, you listening? After the sermon's over, don't go across the room and go up to somebody and say, well, in the light of R.T.'s sermon, I want you to know I forgive you for what you've done. <laughs> They're going to say, for what? Well, you know what. I don't. Oh, you do. Well, I don't. Well, you should. Now you've got to fight, which is what you wanted. You can't bear the thought that they don't know how hurt you are. You see, this is where the blessing of God comes in. You forgive them. They don't even know how much they've hurt you. God knows. And he knows what you're going through. Don't throw it up. Don't make them feel guilty. And don't be surprised if the person you have to forgive is known as godly. Godly. Ooh. You know the poem, living with the saints above, that will be glory. Living with the saints below, that's another story. <laughs> you don't tell anybody what they did. You don't let them be nervous around you. You don't point the finger, you don't throw it up. And fourth, you let them save face. Yes, in Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he says, let the other person save face. You cover up for them. You don't act like you don't even know what they did. Instead of pointing the finger and rubbing their nose in it. Joseph's now saying, it wasn't you who did it 22 years ago. 
What? Oh, no, this is what God did. Listen, Joseph said, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. These 11 brothers cannot believe their luck that the man they were going to kill is now saying God was behind the whole thing. You talk about letting them save face. He doesn't even let them tell the old man, Jacob, their darkest secret. He won't let them tell. The proof that you've totally forgiven, you know something about somebody that could ruin them. No one will ever know if you have totally forgiven. It also means you pray for them. And when you pray for them, you actually pray that God will bless them. You know, I was preaching at Westminster Chapel some years ago. And the middle in the, I was leading the worship. We did it that way in those days. And we're singing the great English hymn. Praise my soul, the king of heaven. And in comes a woman in the middle of the service who has done irreparable emotional damage to one of our children. When I saw that woman, I couldn't, I couldn't cope. I just mouthed the words. I had to go through another hymn and the, reading the scripture and the pastoral prayer. What saved me was offering time when a deacon comes up and welcomes the visitors and says the morning offering will be received. And I'm sitting next to the pulpit, seething inside. Something happened that's never happened before or since. The Holy Spirit entered into a conversation with me. I don't say this is verbatim, but it's pretty close. The Lord looked down and said, R.T., so you want to see revival in Westminster Chapel, is that true? I said, yes, Lord. He said, good. How much do you want to see revival? Oh, I want a lot. Which would you rather have? Revival? Or for me to send judgment on that woman out there? Revival, good. Pray for that woman. I said, I pray for that woman. <laughs> he said, you can do better than that. Ask me to bless her. Bless her. <laughs> Say it again. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. And what if I take you seriously and I take your prayer and I bless her? I said, Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> That's the point. And I had to start praying, Lord, bless her, bless her, bless her, bless her. It was killing me. And guess what? God answered that prayer. That woman thrives today in London. Whether in heaven I can resist going up to her and say, I know why God blessed you. <laughs> but let, me, let me tell you why I tell you that. People ask, how come I've written all these books? They think it's my education. They think it's my brain. Not at all. It's the Holy Spirit 
Because when I started praying for my enemy and practicing what I've preached to you, you've no idea. You, the, the insight that I get, I get I, yeah, publishers in a day you cannot get a book published. They come up to me, when, when's you gonna do your next book? It's because God has blessed me with insight. He'll do it for you. Doesn't mean you'll be an author, but you've got a gift nobody else has. And you've no idea how God will use you. And so you pray for them, ask God to bless them, My sermon is almost over. It's decision time. I have no idea who's here. I have no idea what you think of this sermon, but this is pretty much it. If you should by chance be here today and say, RT, I needed that, I would ask you, are you prepared to forgive that person or those people totally? It's decision time. I'm gonna ask you in the next 30 seconds if you are prepared to forgive them totally. In the next 25 seconds, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. You say, in front of all these people? Mm-hmm. Oh, they'll know I've had a problem. Well, and you've got a problem. You'd rather worry what people think than what God thinks. 10 seconds, I'm gonna ask you to stand. Don't look around and see if anybody else stands. If you're ready to say, God, I wanna do it. Five, four, three, two, one. If you're ready to forgive, I want you to stand to your feet right now. I'll wait 10 seconds. Don't miss this moment. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Don't miss this moment. All right. Well done. But what you've just done is the easy part. We haven't prayed yet. And you can still get out of it. If you're prepared to pray, I want you to know it's become serious because we're going to enter into a covenant. In the Old Testament, a covenant was always ratified by blood. Well, we're under the blood of the covenant. Jesus shed the blood 2,000 years ago. And if you're ready now to forgive, you're going to make a covenant. Repeat these words out loud, all of you that are standing. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my unforgiveness. Wash my sin away by your blood. I invite your Holy Spirit to come afresh into my heart. As best as I know how I give you my life. In Jesus' name.
Now look, when you mess up, you will. The devil will say, well, you might as well forget it now, you broke the covenant. No, when you mess up, you say something you shouldn't say, just say, Lord, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it. Keep a short account with God. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that you will never be the same again. This is where the blessing of God kicks in.